You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 96 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to Klaas for sponsoring this episode. Since a trust is not a legal entity as such, does a trust even pay tax? And if it doesn't, who does? To find an answer, I went to see Paul McEnroth of Clearview in Brisbane. Here's Paul. The taxation of trusts, whether it be the beneficiaries or the trustee, for example, is all dealt with still in 36 Act in Division 6 and the streaming in Division 6E. Generally, the trustee is not liable to taxation under Division 6 unless one of the provisions in that division says that the trustee is liable. So that's the general rule in Section 96. Or the rules around the taxation of beneficiaries is where most accountants do their work. So Section 97 is where most accountants live their life. To be honest, most tax lawyers to a large degree is in dealing with the issues of beneficiaries being taxed. Mm. Have you ever seen Section 99A or Section 99 coming in? Yeah, certainly, uh, yeah, we have. And they often come in where... Something um, went wrong. Yeah, and where not necessarily always something went wrong, but a trustee is liable because not all of the income was distributed correctly or the trust resolutions were faulty, or in some circumstances it may be tactical that a beneficiary doesn't want to be presently entitled to that income and the trustee assessed under one of those provisions. But generally, when we're teaching and training in in this area, it's all to do with Section 97. So what Section 97 is about is about how does the beneficiary of a discretionary trust get assessed. And I say discretionary trust, it doesn't only apply to that, but that's generally where we spend our life. So what Section 97 says is where a beneficiary of a trust estate who is not under any legal disability is presently entitled to a share of income of the trust estate, the assessable income of the beneficiary shall include so much of that share of the net income of the trust estate as is attributable to a period when that beneficiary was a resident. Now, there's some other other words of I have taken out a little bit there, but that's really the core of that section. The areas that need to be examined in large part are the definitions or lack thereof of present entitlement, what income of the trust estate means, what the words so much of that share means, and then net income of the trust estate. So we'll talk about those individually. So the term present entitlement isn't defined in the legislation. Um, There are a number of cases over the years that have have addressed what they are. One of the cases is the Commission of Taxation against Harmer. And in that case, the court said that for a beneficiary to be presently entitled, they need to have an interest in the income, which is both vested in interest and vested in possession. Now, vested in interest really means that you can identify who the beneficiary is. So there's an identifiable beneficiary of that income. And vested in possession really means that they have a present legal right to 
make a demand and receive payment of that income. So if you have those two elements, then you can say that a beneficiary is presently entitled. There are some sections in the legislation which deal with uh, deeming a beneficiary to be presently entitled, and one of them is in Section 101, and that says that a beneficiary in whose favour a trustee exercises the trustee's discretion shall be deemed to be presently entitled to the amount paid to the beneficiary or applied for the beneficiary's benefit by the trustee in the exercise of that discretion. And what that really means is every year we'll have a trustee resolution which says we pay or apply for the benefit of X, a certain amount of the income of the trust. So that application by making a resolution will be deemed present entitlement under Section 101. And that's the ordinary way we do our trust resolutions for the year. And that's basically just to protect against the beneficiary. He says, oh, I, I wasn't present, presently entitled. It's basically just saying whether you were presently entitled or not is beyond discussion. The trustee decided that you are presently entitled and therefore we deem you presently entitled. Whether you actually are or not is, yeah. you know, Look, irrelevant. Uh, yeah, that's right. So it's, it's about saying, well, if the trustee pays money to you, as part of your entitlement in the trust fund, well, then that makes discretion sense. makes you presently entitled and fits within that term, present entitlement. The other sections are Section 95, capital A, and subsection 1 says that where a beneficiary is presently entitled to any income of the trust estate, the beneficiary continues to be presently entitled regardless of whether the amount is paid or applied for the beneficiary. I think what that's directed towards is we make someone presently entitled at an earlier point in the year, we pay that money to them, well, they continue to be presently entitled to the end of the year. It's not like the present entitlement evaporates because they've already been paid. Third June, when the accounts are struck and those sorts of things, well, that person is still presently entitled to that income regardless of the payment. So it's just to avoid timing issues? I think so, yeah. So then subsection 2 says where a beneficiary has a vested and indefeasible interest in any of the income of the trust estate but is not presently entitled to that income, the beneficiary shall be deemed to be presently entitled. You could perhaps structure your trust deed such that you give someone a vested and indefeasible interest in that income but the terms of the deed allow for the trustee to retain that income for a few years, for example. So notwithstanding you haven't been made presently entitled. What, I but guess futurely term, entitled. Correct, yeah. That that still means that you're presently entitled to that income for the purposes of Section 97. Yeah, it means you have a vested and indefeasible interest and therefore you are deemed to be presently entitled. Correct. Even though under the structure of that deed, the word present entitlement probably doesn't fit, but for the purposes of... Division 6, you are presently entitled, even though you may get that money in a few years' time. Have you ever seen vested and indefeasible interest that is not a present entitlement? Have you seen trusts? No, that- I, I, I haven't. Mm. It's certainly not the norm, but may be the case. Whether that was inserted as a anti-avoidance mechanism, I'm not sure, but perhaps it was directed towards that. Yeah, because it smells a little bit like an anti-avoidance measure. And certainly the way it's actually labelled Section 95 capital A indicates that it was inserted later, 
perhaps in, yeah, some in people response clever. to something. Mm-hmm. So one of the issues around that present entitlement is the timing of when that present entitlement arises. The case of colonial first aid investments against the commissioner said that a beneficiary can only be presently entitled to income, which the trustee has appointed in the beneficiary's favour prior to the end of the year. So we know that all of our trustees will say that a trustee must make the resolution to appoint income and it must be done prior to the end of 30 June. So that's an ordinary thing, but that case spelled it out that that is, that is what the law is. FCT, that stands for Federal Court of Tax... No, no Federal Commissioner of Taxation. So okay. when, when it's in that context of colonial first aid versus FCT, it'll, it'll always be uh, Federal Commissioner of Taxation. Okay. Sometimes it might be Deputy Commissioner um, of Taxation, but FCT, when it's after the V, it means Federal Commissioner. Does it have a meaning whether FCT comes before the V or after the V? It is written generally whoever is taking the action before the court. So in that case, I would think that Colonial was the appellant and the commissioner was the respondent. Second question. I didn't have this Colonial First State case. I had a whole lot of other cases being Ramston versus FCT and Harmer versus FCT. Harmer, certainly. Ramston is another case in the area of trust law. It dealt with renunciations. So in Ramston's case, the beneficiary renounced all interests under the trust in, in order to stop them from being presently entitled to income. The beneficiary said, well, I don't want this income. So they yeah, renounced their interest in the trust. The commissioner was saying that the taxpayer, Ramsden, was presently entitled. But Ramsden was saying, well, no, I've, re- I've renounced my interest under the trust. But obviously it wasn't done at the time. The commissioner had denied a deduction and assessed Ramsden to extra income, similar to Bamford and the like. And Ramsden was saying at some point, well, I don't want any of that extra income, so I'm renouncing my interest under the trust. And it was done after the 30th of June and hence... And and that's where the fight successfully said that they renounced their interest, even though it was done at a later time. I think it was done soon after. One of the principles in Ramsden, I think, is that as soon as you become aware of this income, whatever it might be, if you make the decision as soon as you practically are aware that you're going to be presently entitled to this income, if that's the point where you say, well, I'm renouncing any interest, I don't want it, don't give it to me, um, I think that that is successful, but it certainly is a timing issue where you might come presently entitled to income in an earlier year and then two or three years later you say, well, I actually didn't want that, that's not going to work. So the next main issue that has certainly been the subject of many cases is the phrase income of the trust estate. And that phrase isn't defined in the legislation. And I think where some of the problems have arisen is that the term net income is defined. So there's always been a, a, a conflict there as to, well, does income of the trust estate mean net income? And there'll be deeds that have that, that corresponding clause which says that income of the trust estate is equal to net income. So that's been where that conflict is. 
But that phrase, income of the trust estate, the answer to that is that it is now given its ordinary meaning according to the general law of trusts and the trust deed. So it's not given its tax law meaning in terms of what that phrase means in Section 97. So really what that's about is saying, well, what's the net amount after subtracting all of our expenses on revenue account from all of the income on revenue account? And that's, in terms of a trust, that's what the income of that trust estate is. In more recent years, since Bamford's case, 2010 era, or the beginning of the last decade, or this decade, we have gone to a different term of called distributable income, and certainly we're not the only ones. But what that means is a beneficiary can only be presently entitled to income, which is legally, that is according to trust law, available for distribution to a beneficiary. And so now income of the trust estate is distributable income, isn't it? That's right. Even though your trustees might have a, a different sort of clause, income of the trust estate under Section 97 means the distributable income of that trust. Now, if the expenses that you have on revenue exceed the income on revenue, then there won't be any distributable income. Some trustees will have an income equalisation clause, which kind of is designed to allow the trustee to reclassify certain bits of income to ensure that that there is some distributable income. Um, but yes. that some doubt has been cast on whether they can be effective if it's just accounting entries, for example. It's not really a growth in the actual trust fund. Yes, because the problem is when your trust income is zero but your net income is more than zero, yes. then you don't have any beneficiaries who are presently entitled to the distributable income and hence the entire net income goes is assessed, to, is the assessed to the trustee. And that is where the problems arise when there are differences between those two amounts, and, th and there will be. Unfortunately, in those circumstances, the trustee is going to be liable if there is no um, income of the trustee that is distributable. The next phrase that we need to look at is the phrase, so much of that share. And this is what links that earlier phrase of income of the trust estate to net income of the trust estate. So Section 97 sets out that a beneficiary is assessed on the same share of the taxable income as the distributable income. So what we need to work out is in the first instance, well, what's the distributable income and what proportion of, of that is the beneficiary entitled to? Then we look at, well, what is the net income of the trust estate um, using the definition in Section 95? From that, the beneficiary will be taxed on the same share, the same proportion as they are entitled to income of the trust estate. There had been some competing views as to what that phrase meant, so much of that share, and one of the views was called the quantum view, And that was about saying that the beneficiaries, if there was a, a distribution minute which said that uh, the beneficiaries got a set proportion and, for example, the balance of the estate, the balance of the income would go to a particular beneficiary. If the commissioner assessed that some deductions were denied, therefore the accessible income of the trust estate would go up, then that income 
that extra income would not be proportionate amongst the beneficiaries and that it would go to the balanced beneficiary. Well, that view is no longer possible. Oh, I see. Okay, so when you have a default beneficiary, then the balance would go to the default beneficiary. But when you don't have a default beneficiary, then the balance would go to the trustee. Yes, that's right. Since Bamford and some earlier cases, we take the proportionate view, that is the beneficiaries who were entitled. So if it worked out that they were entitled to 10% and the others, the the balance of that uh, 90%, then the increase in that net income would go in those same proportions. So I, I think that makes sense. The next phrase is net income of the trust estate. And this is really a reference back to section 95 which says that the net income in relation to a trust estate means the total assessable income of the trust estate calculated under this Act as if the trustee were a taxpayer and a resident, plus all allowable deductions, and there's a few carve-outs there, which I won't go through. We determine what the the net income of the trust estate is as as if they were just an ordinary taxpayer, and then we determine, well, what's the proportion of the income or distributable income of the trust is that a particular beneficiary is entitled to and that's how that particular beneficiary is taxed. They're taxed on the net income in proportion to what they receive as part of the distributable income. So when we talk about distributable versus net income, it's one of those, as you rightly pointed out, vexed issues because there may be circum and there will be circumstances where the net income does not equal the distributable income. These will generally come about as a result of, um, say, non-deductible expenses for tax purposes, but as a matter of trust law, they are expenses that will reduce that net income. And one of those might be entertainment expenses, you know, lunches and the like that are not, not tax deductible, but they are expenses as a trust law. The cash is gone. Correct. And the other one is there may be particular timing differences between the tax and accounting treatment of certain things like depreciation or employee entitlement provisions. You you may not get a deduction for it in in this year, but you have set aside some employee entitlements, leave, that sort of thing. So those timing differences do cause um, problem where the distributable income isn't equal to the net income. You hinted before, Ed, that the Section 95 clause, so this income equalization clause, doesn't always work, that it might get busted when the trust income is zero, but the net income is above zero. Yep. I, I wasn't aware of that. What I was saying is that the Commissioner has some doubts as to whether an income equalization clause will work unless there is some of the phrases accretion to the trust fund, so growth in the trust fund. So... Where it's merely, I guess, an artificial equalisation, merely to get some distributable income so that so that it's not a trustee assessment, the Commissioner has a dim view of that and it may be an area where they chose to pursue. I thought it was a very good point that Section 97 is where the music is. Yeah, it really is. So I think it has become more clear, certainly since since Bamford, and I know that's some time ago now, 
The taxation of trusts really happens in three steps. The first step is determining the distributable income of the trust. And once we've determined the distributable income of the trust, if it's positive, then we determine who the beneficiaries are. And I think I just added a step there. So we determine who the beneficiaries are as to who will receive the distributable income and in what proportions. And then those beneficiaries are taxed on the net income of the trust estate in proportion to their entitlement to the income or the distributable income of the estate. So a three-step process, determine the distributable income, determine your proportions to the beneficiaries, and then those beneficiaries are taxed on, on their share of the net income in accordance with their entitlement to that distributable income. So section 97, ITAA 36, it is. This is where most of the music is playing, getting the beneficiaries to include the trust income in their accessible income. In the next episode, episode 97, Paul McEnross will talk about the streaming of trust income. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaus for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.